Welcome to the very last edition of the Big Self Podcast for the year of 2020. I'm your host, Chad Prevost. Really excited to get out of this year alive with Shelly. Amen to that. I'm your host, Shelly Prevost. We are the podcast for the Big Self School, and we offer classes, coaching, and books to help you rediscover your purpose and activate it in bigger ways. Jana Breslin was born and raised in Southern California and is a former pharmaceutical representative for one of the leading pharmaceutical companies in the world. And after battling multiple health issues and realizing she could heal herself with food and nutrition, she discovered a passion for helping others achieve optimal health. She's now a well-known fitness model, certified personal trainer, health coach, and nutrition expert. And Evan DeMarco is a leading sports medicine and nutrition expert, published author, public speaker, and frequent guest on television, radio, and digital platforms. Evan turned returned to school to study bio and organic chemistry Ooh. and went on to develop a vastly improved formula for prenatal supplements delivered in liquid form. That sounds cool. Super cool. After finding out he was going to be a father. I love that. From there, he worked to develop numerous ingredient technologies to improve brain function in infants, children, and adults. They are doing some really interesting stuff for the complete human. And I think you are in for a treat on our very last podcast of 2020. Jana Breslin and Evan DeMarco, welcome to the show. Hey guys, welcome. How's it going? It's good. We're so glad to have you all here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. You guys are doing fascinating stuff. I don't, I mean, there's so much I would like to uh, talk to you about all that you're doing, but let's like, let's dive in with, you know, just your epigenetic change. I'd like for you to tell us about what this is, your four pillars. um, And can you put it in layman's terms for everybody? Yeah, a great question, guys. And I think, you know, um, Jana and I both come from somewhat similar backgrounds in the in the sense that we both have some kind of family history of disease. And in that family history of disease, we've both been told by physicians that there's a probability that those disease, those characteristics could be passed on to us. Um, I, I think that anybody who has that kind of family history, whether it's a cancer, a diabetes, a cognitive decline like Alzheimer's or dementia, um, you know, anything that's autoimmune like a thyroid problem, mm-hmm. there's this inherent scare that comes from that. And, and what we find in epigenetics and the, the origin of epigenetics really is this word that means above genetics, that lifestyle parameters, certain things that we do day in and day out can drastically impact whether or not that DNA switch that says you're going to get that disease ultimately turns on and off. And so epigenetics really becomes our ability to take the control back from this genetic hand that we're dealt from our parents or our grandparents or great-grandparents. And, mm-hmm. and, and what we really find in all of the research is, is that we do have that power to impact our ultimate gene expression. Hmm. Wow. Well, that that certainly is in, in layman's terms. I love um, that. And I now I kind of understand a little bit more about y'all's mission with the uh, complete human. Yeah. So tell yeah. us about these four pillars. I'm really interested in this. So the four pillars, you know, it's funny when we start talking about health and wellness, there seems to be this overarching strategy that comes out of most people who spent a significant amount of time researching the, you know, bio-optimization, biohacking, whatever Mm -hmm. it is that you want to call it. I mean, it really comes down to ultimately the same things. and, And it's how we package those that becomes the difference, right? But when we really started to look at this, we, we started to recognize that there's this, there's this story that you can look at as kind of the, the basis for all of this. And, I think as two people who really enjoy working out when you could go to a gym, there's this love hate relationship that comes with January 2nd, which is something we're approaching here pretty quickly. You know, it's, it's inspiring to see people at the gym and taking control of their health, but it's also frustrating because you can't get on a darn machine. Um, (laughs) That's true. Now, what happens is, you know, February, things start to slow down. And by March, the gym is back to normal. So what is the mental block that prohibits people from staying with these goals that they set year in and year out? 
that comes down to mental fortitude. What are the things that we're doing or not doing in our daily lives that keep us from really embracing the ultimate potential of our health? Once we fix that, once we address those mental blocks, once we develop that fortitude, we can transition into the elements of physical health. And physical health for us is always based off of diagnostic testing. Each person is unique, right? Why is it that we all have different fingerprints or different, you know, retinal scans? So if we're all unique individuals with unique microbiomes and unique genetic uh, predispositions, why is it that we think that one diet or one workout can apply to every single person? Mm -hmm. And so when we start to utilize diagnostic testing, we can develop this roadmap of physical health. What should we be eating? What should we not be eating? What workout should we be doing? How do we really optimize the physical parameters? But I think one of the things that happens is, is, you know, if you're just, if you're mentally strong and you've got this good roadmap to physical health, if you're following, if you're falling short with kind of spiritual abundance, then it's all for naught, right? Then you just mm-hmm. end up, you know, looking good and eating good, but for to what end? And, and so spiritual abundance really kind of came out of this idea that we are communal people. Yeah. We need a good community of people around us to support us, to encourage us, to hold us accountable, and to really, you know, keep us in line with some of the principles and values that, that are the driving force in, in human evolution. And when you have those three pillars, the next step is this planetary connection. When you're mentally strong, you're physically healthy, you're with a group of people that hold you accountable, what can that group do? And the, and the answer is they can change the world. Mm-hmm. And, and so that those four pillars of epigenetic change and of, of kind of bio-optimization in the complete human journey are the essence of what it takes to impact in, impact change with ourselves as individuals and then ultimately, you know, the planet. Yeah, that's good. So, Love that. Yeah, I'm going to ask you all about this because uh, you all use the language that I use, which is radical responsibility. And about, gosh, I think it's been three years ago now, like my life radically changed when I decided to take like no holds bar responsibility. And it was really, it was it was not easy to do, but it was a decision I made that I can no longer point fingers and walk through life, like, you know, looking at other people's behaviors or actions, uh, as limitations in my life. And so, and I have a quote real quick, cause Will Smith has a little video and he talks about the difference between fault and responsibility. And then I wanted you guys to talk about how you approach radical responsibility in your work. Okay. He says, um, as long as we're pointing the finger and stuck in whose fault something is, We're jammed and trapped into victim mode. When you're in victim mode, you're stuck in suffering. The road to power is in taking responsibility. And so I want you all to talk about that because I imagine you, you coach and see and talk to a lot of people who are stuck in, I can't, or my genes are limiting me or whatever limitation that mental fortitude you talked about, um, like talk about the responsibility piece of this and then how do you all help people get to that level of radical responsibility? Well, I think, I think we're all, we all deal with so much every day, all of our lives. I mean, we, we are all faced with challenges. We're all faced with adversity. So, but, but the one thing that we can all work on is how do we change our mindset or modify our own thoughts and opinions about what's happening and take control over our own emotions and thoughts. And I think, I think that's where it comes down to is being able to, instead of being deeply in and just completely affected by everything that's going on around, how can we also change our mindset a little bit more and take responsibility for ourselves instead of maybe blaming, Oh, I'm this way because of that, or this happened because of this. And it's, you know, it is, it is fully taking responsibility. And I think we're in a position right now, like even globally where we, we need to start doing that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, a lot of it just boils down to ego, right? And, and I was just thinking that (laughs) there's so much ego in responsibility or radical responsibility. And when we take a step back from the ego and we can recognize that this person didn't do this to me, 
this situation didn't happen to me. Uh, that is just a cold, uncaring universe marching on the way that it does. And so when we, when we distance our ego from every situation, it's really easy to take that step back and say, okay, I, I'm not going to be reactive to the situation. I'm going to proactively deal with this. Now, radical responsibility in the, in the term of health and wellness is putting aside all of the BS that we spew every single day on why we can't do something. Yeah. <laughs> and, and part of that is tough love to ourselves, and, and we have to get out of that mindset of being the victim. Well, you know, I've got a thyroid problem. I can't go to the gym. BS. You can go to the gym. Are you going to go do a CrossFit workout, you know, and compete at like a, a CrossFit games level? Probably not. But can you go to the gym and walk on a treadmill? Can you get outside and walk around the block? And those small, small victories are the things that ultimately shift the mindset from being the victim where your ego is driving the, you know, driving the bus to taking the responsibility for every decision that you make and uh, utilizing that decision-making paradigm to impact true positive change in your life. Well, I, I love all this, and I think this is a perfect time to be talking about habits and routines as we're releasing this right at the end of uh, 2020. And, you know, and I want you guys, I would love to hear about just, you know, maybe some suggestions that you guys have for breaking the bad habits, you know, and, um, and also, of course, establishing the good ones. We recently on the podcast talked to a productivity uh, consultant, I guess, coach. coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like, don't call them habits, call them rituals and build actions around that. And I, I really like that idea, but here's, so I really have something for you. Now this is a challenge for you. Here it is. It's when, so they say you can build a habit in 21 days or 66 days or however long it is, 120 days. But by, for me, by the time I have done something for 66 days. I'm tired of it. Give Chad a little tough love and a little coaching right now. Okay. (laughs) So like, so for me, it's like the very length of time that they say is establishing a good habit. I'm burning out on the habit, whatever it is. And for instance, one of the things that I saw that you all are doing is some of this cold water therapy, which is super cool. And I've seen a ton of the science about it. And I was taking these cold showers after I was working out and I was feeling super energized and great for a while. But after about two months of doing that, I just didn't want to take cold showers anymore. <laughs> so I don't know. What, what do you guys have? Just let, I know there's a whole lot there. Uh, one thing at a time. Like, um, what what do you guys have suggestions for just in establishing maybe some good habits? And keeping them. Yeah, and like. that's the point, yeah. I guess, is the accountability. Absolutely. And as far as habits goes, I think it's really important to associate it with a with a bigger picture, right? I mean, why are we taking a cold you know, cold plunges? Why are we taking cold showers? Why do we push ourselves hard? Why do we eat a certain way? Why do we focus on mindset and meditation and journaling and inner work? I mean, mm-hmm. all these habits, I think are, it's so important to associate it with a greater picture of, of the why and make sure that when, when you have that, why it's, it's, that's the fire, that's the the passion, that's, that's the drive forward. And I think if, if we can associate those habits with a greater picture and kind of what the overall outcome of that looks like. I think a lot of people would maybe stick with it more. I Probably. Mean, I mean, this is why we focus on on our morning our morning protocol. Like literally what we do is we jump in the, in the hot sauna for like 40 minutes, jump in the cold pool, we do a PEMF session, and then go straight into journaling and meditation and reading. And, you know, we, we have a whole a whole morning protocol that Evan and I practice. And it, it's because it says it sets itself, sets us up for success for the future and, and for our business and just for, for anything, our relationships. And, um, you know, we, we look at it as, okay, this is what is optimizing ourselves mentally and physically to be able to live our life full of purpose and, and help others. Let me ask you a question, yeah. Chad. Mm-hmm. So you, you talked about the 21 days or the 66 days. That's that seems to be kind of the 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 sales pitch out there, right? Twenty one mm-hmm. days to make a habit. But if if I give you a task, right. go mow the lawn, go do the dishes, and I give you five hours to do that, are you going to do it right away? Or are you going to wait till like that four and a half hour mark? That um, meant 
and answer the question first. Well, let's start with that. Oh. Let's see what kind of person you are, Chad. Yeah. <laughs> I think I would want to knock it out and go yeah. do it. You would. Okay. I'm the procrastinator of the two of us. So. Okay. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's, there's both, right? But we are inherently procrastinators and, and we have this weird kind of conceptualization. It's like, well, 21 days to get a habit. And so you do something for 21 days and then you think that there's supposed to be this magic button that's like, okay, now all of a sudden that's the habit. Life changes. Right. But what if we say that the habit is, it's not a habit, it's a lifetime of practice. Mm. And so bio-optimization mm. really is, is this recognition that you're not creating a habit, you're creating a lifestyle. And when we start to compartmentalize things as habits, then we have this negative connotation. But when we say you're creating a lifestyle, then that cold shower is just something that you're going to do every day until you die at 150. <laughs> it's kind of like the, the ethos of complete human. I mean, we always say, you know, you, you can ne- never fully be a complete human. It's always a journey. It's always an effort. You're always putting in the work day in and day out. And I think that's a lot of maybe, I don't know, people might associate us like we're, we're saying we are complete humans. That is far from the truth. We are, especially Evan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a no, I know you guys actually, I've, I've listened to several of your podcasts and you make it very clear that it's, that it is a process. Um, I think that, I said, well, I heard two things there. Um, I heard that you got to know your why and you have to build a complete lifestyle around y- your purpose. So can I ask you all a question about that? So, um, cause that really stuck me, stuck with me, the, the why idea. And I totally agree. Tell us how, what your why is and how do you connect these daily practices? Like, how do you do that in your head? Like I'm doing this today because it's leading me to fulfillment of my why? Like kind of show us what that looks like. Yeah. I mean, I, me personally, I kind of look at it as amplification, right? If I can optimize and amplify myself on every level, then what, what extra value can I bring to other people's lives? What extra value can I bring to the world? What, what change can I make if I'm optimizing at the best level that I possibly can? So that, that's kind of my, my mentality towards, I don't know if Evan wants to you know, my, my why is a little bit more, um, uh, Jana is, Jana has such an amazing picture of, of the world and what she can do with it. And, and I love that. I mean, that passion I think is something that drives complete human in a way that, that no other, you know, no other person could, um, you know, when I look at my why, it, it really comes back to my daughter as a, as a single father, you know, I, I, I want to be here. I want to celebrate the moments with her that, you know, every moment that I can, and whether that's walking her down the aisle or dancing with her at a wedding or holding my grandkids, you know, I don't want her to have to worry about my health. I don't want her to watch me fall into that slow kind of decrepitude of, of old age. I, I, you know, I want to be this beacon of, of hope. And I, I really want to show her what we as a species are capable of when we do all of the things that we should be doing instead of all the things we shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that, that sounds very, you know, I, I like the high level view of it. I mean, is, does it, is the why also coming from the epigenetic change that you guys talked about? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, I think, you know, epigenetics becomes the foundation of what we can do as individuals and how we can ultimately impact the planet. Now here, here's the thing, right? Let's say that we all fix our epigenetic health, you know, piece, you know, we, we go through all four of our stages and now we're on track to have this, lifestyle in this life that goes far beyond the average life expectancy. What are, are we still using single serve plastic? Are we still polluting our airs and our oceans with epigenetic change comes the responsibility that we have to impact real change in our planet. We cannot go back to the way things were pre COVID. I mean, that is a recipe for not just disaster for extinction. And science has had a very solid opinion on this backed by you know data for a long time that if we don't change the fundamental way that we live our lives we're not going to have a planet to live on in 100 years mm-hmm. and, and so you yeah. know part of it is get ourselves mentally well get ourselves physically well and then go out and fix the planet so that we have a playground for the rest of our lives and for our mm-hmm. children's lives and our grandchildren's lives and for every generation down the road i love that i so uh, i want to back up just a little bit um so our community, you know, we talk about stress a lot. So I'm, I'm curious how stress, uh, burnout, how that, that fits into your framework and your model and your work. Um, I just 
got the book When the Body Says No, uh, Exploring the Stress Disease Connection by Gabriel Mate. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, yeah. And it is, it's a, the book about like psychoneuroimmunology and how our emotions or lack of emotional processing really um, creates a stress response that most of us are ill-equipped to really move through effectively and in a healthy way. And so with your epigenetic work, like how, what have you all seen about the stress uh, results that in, in people that you've talked with and worked with and, and maybe, you know, if we could think about what are some kind of main takeaways that people could think about, like how stress is impacting, um, their health. Let's let's look at the anthropological view of this. You know, a uh, hundred thousand years ago, when we're nomads, you know, you know, walking around yeah. the African plains, stress was a response to an outside stimuli. You know, saber toothed tiger comes running into the tribe, and you know, you have to run away to save your lives. It's fight or flight. Yep. And then once that stimuli goes away and then you're allowed to kind of re, you know, reconnect, you know, your brain floods your body with large quantities of acetylcholine. And, and in that, you have this homeostasis period. So stress was a physiological response that allowed you to survive. And then you had a moment of kind of refraction where your body kind of came back to that homeostasis. Now, fast forward to where we're at now. We don't have that. And the stresses aren't outside physical stimuli for the yes. most part. Yeah. They're, they're digital, they're, they're work, psychological. they're, they're psychological. Yeah. And in this case, they're viral, um, or at least the psychological impact of what could potentially be a viral, you know, a problem with COVID. Mm -hmm. So yeah. we don't have the ability or we are not conditioned with the way that we live our lives to allow ourselves to return to homeostasis. That stress is there 24 seven. So when we really looked at it, the things that we kind of came up with are how do you modify your lifestyle? Now, the first and foremost is, uh, we, you know, doctors will call it sleep hygiene. We just call it, you know, intelligence is put the freaking phone down an hour before bed. That's right. Like that is away the big from one. The phone. Away from the phone. Limit, absolutely limit your social media time. Now, here's, here's in, in all of you people listening out there, I'm going to ask this question, right? Like if I told you, you could not if you could only have your social media for 30 minutes a day, I'm going to guess that 95% of you respond with, yeah, but. Yeah, yeah. but I use it for my business. Yeah, but what? I need to stay connected. Yeah, but, 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 but. Yeah, and it's but all it's pandemic. It's a lifeline. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, we did some research on this one, and this is scary. The average American checks their social media or their phone 96 times a day. Now, what we found in the research is that it takes 23 minutes to recover from that interruption. Hmm. So if you do the math on that, the average American is behind 36 hours a day. But within that comes all of the stress of you know, social media. FOMO is now a clinical term, if you believe that. It's like people are so stressed out because of social media, they missed a party, they missed an event, they missed something. So first and foremost is an hour before bed, don't look at your phone. The second, and this is the best thing to start your day, is do not look at your phone until you've gone through some type of morning protocol that allows you to de-stress, to mentally you know, begin your day properly, to meditate, to exercise. You know, if you begin your day with the phone and 23% of millennials admitted to waking up in the middle of the night to check social media, mm -hmm. which is just abhorrent, but if right. you begin your phone or if you begin your day with your phone, you've got blue light activation, you've got cortisol, you've got all of these stress hormones that don't allow you to proactively begin your day. Those two things of getting your morning done properly, whatever protocol that may be before you jump into whatever, you know, digital content you need or digital media, and then stopping that an hour before bed would exponentially change the way that our stress response is as, as a species right now. Mm. You know, and I like, I'm listening and I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Intellectually, I totally <laughs> know all of this. And, and I think a lot of people listening are like, yep, I totally need to do that. We know we need to do that yet. We don't do that. And like that leap from, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking back about the why, you know, like connecting that to something else deeper and more powerful for me. Cause I do, I'm a, I'm a first, my feet hit the ground. Sometimes my feet don't even hit the ground before I check my phone. So, mm -hmm. but so I know I need to not do that yet. The leap to 
uh, whether it's a habit I have to break, which I think is a little bit of what it is for me, um, connecting it to some other reason why I shouldn't do that, or gosh, wouldn't it be better to get up and have um, some quiet time or reading or journaling? But, but so I think a lot of people know it, they just don't do it. So have you ever seen anybody with Alzheimer's or dementia? Yes. Yes. Okay. That is one of the most tragic diseases that afflicts us as, you know, as people. Now, something interesting happens when you check your phone before you go to bed and you begin your your day with your phone is that blue light activation, that electrical electrical impulse stimulates your brain to the point that you can't fall asleep and get into healthy sleep patterns the way that you could without it. Now, what happens in the middle of sleep in all of our sleep cycles is we have this glymphatic drainage, right? Like basically cerebral spinal fluid comes up from our spine and does this spin cycle on our brain, removing beta amyloid plaques and tangles, uh, bad proteins, all of the things that are leading to Alzheimer's and dementia. We're starting to see these beta amyloid plaques and tangles, interestingly enough, in gamers, people that are in their 30s who have a sedentary lifestyle, who are constantly looking at screens and blue light, who have a poor diet. Now, if we're seeing these beta amyloid plaques and tangles in people in their 30s, there's a high probability that we're starting that we will see visual signs of cognitive decline in their 40s. That's an epidemic. So I'm going to give you the, the tough one. You've got kids. Do you want your kids, you know, basically wiping your butt when you're 65? Because the reality <laughs> the is scare, the scary approach, this the is scare the tactics. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is, and that's kind of how we have to do it. Is like people need people need the scare tactic. They need like, do you want to remember who you are at 65? Do you want to know your kids? Do you want to know your family? Do you want to have a quality of life that allows you to enjoy the full tapestry of the human experience? Mm. Or do you want to be sitting in a nursing home at 60 or 65, not even able to remember your wife? And that's what these screens are doing to us. They are fundamentally rewiring our brains and not in any way close to a positive way. Yeah. Yeah. We we fully believe that education drives compliance, right? And, you know, we all have those, yeah, buts and, you know, well, this is important and and, and we, we get it, right? Like we also run a digital content platform and, you know, we're, we're very involved with, with our media and our technology, but I think it, it really does come down to education too. If you know exactly how this is affecting you either negatively or positively, I think it, it, it does drive that compliance. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So, yeah. well, and I like that. And, and so in some ways that's like, you know, anticipating the, the future and maybe, yeah, like let's be scared for a good reason and what we want to do proactively in the meantime. But you guys have also, you talk about, you know, you, dealing with, you know, developing your resi- resiliency, dealing with failure and setbacks um, on a number of levels. Uh, and you've done, you, you've been through some therapy. Um, you do a lot of inner work too. And I don't want that to go, you know, sort of by the wayside. You talk about the spiritual dimension of one of your pillars. You've done a lot of this inner work. How is that a part of your, say, daily routine um, with some of the other um, physical stuff that you're doing? Um, what are some of the takeaways from the inner work you've done? How does it translate into, say, this outer impact? Yeah, I think, I mean, especially now, even just with a, a global pandemic, there's so much processing, emotional, psychological, like there's so much that we need to process individually and also as a whole. So for me personally, I, I love to do a brain dump in the morning of just everything that maybe is, you know, ruminating thoughts or anything that's causing anxiety or maybe some like depression or anything like that. I mean, I, I try and process it and get it out so I can, you know, further optimize the rest of my day. So not only do I do that, but, you know, I think it's really important to focus on gratitude as well. And then, um, affirmations too. So for me that, that, that's kind of, I think it's always great to start your day on a super positive note. And this is why Evan and I highlight so much that it's extremely important to make sure when you start the day, you're, you're starting for yourself too. And I mean, it's not, it's not a selfish thing. It's more, you're, you're, you're putting, you're putting as much as you can into yourself so you can be the best partner. You can be the best for your business. You can be the best parent. And it, it's kind of like, if you can pour the energy and the work into yourself and, and process what you go through on a more psychological, emotional level, 
in turn, you can give back, give back tenfold. You, mm-hmm. If you are the best version of yourself, then, then who could you be for others? Yeah. Evan, I'm curious how, like what your inner work or emotional processing practices, what, what does that look like for you? Great question. You know, meditation has always been a challenge for me, but me it's too. one of those great challenges. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's sitting in one place and quieting the mind while my brain, you know, there's a part of my brain that's saying, well, you've got X, Y, and Z to do. And, you know, your daughter's got to get to school or now that I'm the teacher, you know, I've got, I've got to teach school. Um, but, but here's the thing we, we, from a scientific perspective, we look at heart rate variability and that heart rate variability has a really interesting, um, really interesting ability to tell us how old we are on the inside. So I started really tracking my HRV as it pertained to meditation. And within an HRV algorithm, we can start to look at how old you are on the inside versus how old you are chronically or chronologically. And I found that the more that I was able to get into meditation, the more that I was able to start my day with this appropriate protocol and focus on my why, the spiritual reasons on what it is that I wanted to accomplish in my life, my purpose, how I wanted to connect with people, how I wanted to show up in my relationships mm-hmm. and utilize my spiritual meditative practice as a catalyst to grow that whole area of my life. I found that my HRV algorithm came down so much. So, so now when I test it, I'm at about 25 years old where chronologically I'm 41. Mm-hmm. Before I really got into that practice, I wasn't that way. And, and so what we find on a vibrational energetic level is – that process of spirituality, and I don't want to con, you know, conflate that with religion, right? right. Spirituality right. is what is it that you're doing for yourself? How are you getting in touch with your purpose, your why, and how are you amplifying that energy with through gratitude, through appreciation, through all of these different things that we can now scientifically measure? That has such a profound impact on how we go about our day, our week, our month, our year, and our lives. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's it's how do I how do I get in touch with that vibrational energy and how do I allow my purpose to resonate through all that I do, being a father, being a, a thought leader in this space, trying to impact positive change in the world? So I, it's a long answer, but hopefully I, I, I kind of touched yeah, on that, what you that, wanted there. Yeah, that's great. I, I want to ask you all in just a second about um, empaths and being you know, being an empath and which I don't know if I self-identify as an empath. I am really empathic. I don't know, Chad, what you would say about me. Oh yeah. But here's my thing. So I, my, since I was probably in high school, I, I have been extremely, um, other referencing. And so my job is to meet your needs, whoever you are, whether it was friends or boyfriend. Congratulations, Chad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's, and if Go you're ahead. familiar with the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram type two, which is the helper or the giver. So our whole identity and motivation is, you know, we we strive to get our own needs met by giving to others, you know, usually in pretty strategic ways because we don't like asking for our own needs to be met. So it literally was just recently, um, I'm not a great meditator either. I wish I, I mean, I'm, that's one practice that I want to be way more intentional about. But what I do love is solitude. So, which I talk a lot about on this podcast also, um, that idea that quiet, um, it does can, I don't, I don't have to say anything or do anything. I can just sit there and breathe and it does something weirdly spiritual for me that I think it's, it's like connects me back to myself, which I would call, you know, God in me too. Um, but that's a practice that I think it's so simple. It's almost so simple. I don't even want to say it, but it's true. I mean, that's where I do a lot of that emotional processing. And if I don't do it, I can definitely tell the trajectory of my day is just going to go very differently. Well, and, and I wanted to speak to you, you all mentioned gratitude and the science behind it. I have to admit that even as recently as a year ago, I did not realize, and I should have, cause you've did a dissertation on it, but I've um, been talking about gratitude yeah. for 10 years <laughs> and I didn't understand how studied and understood it was. And like literally it does, you feel different when you, you practice it in these different ways. 
It's not some kind of cheesy, I'm grateful for my health type of thing. Um, so that has made a dip. We just had the gra- a gratitude challenge in, in, in November and uh, it was, it, it was amazing. It's transformative. So that alone is powerful stuff. It is. And, and here's the funny thing, right? Because it is a very scientifically researched phenomenon. But um, imagine you're a scientist and you go in for a grant proposal and you're like, I want to study the outcome of what happens when people wake up in the morning and say, thank you. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the science board is going to think that you've lost your mind. And so, you know, when, when we try to take these giant evolutionary leaps forward in science and our understanding of, of the body and the brain and how all of these things work, some of the most basic things get left behind. But when we revert to this idea that gratitude the simple act of waking up and being, wow, I'm thankful I'm alive. I'm thankful I have food on the table. I'm thankful that, you know, maybe I, I don't have COVID or I had it and I survived it. I'm thankful for all of these things. That simple act brings your vibration level up so high that, you know, when you live at that level, what you can accomplish is amazing. And we all know those Eeyores, right? We all have those people in our mm-hmm. lives. But you call, you, you know, like when you see them calling, you're like, what happened now, right? You know, you're going to get a 30 minute conversation about how, you know, something happened, they got fired, whatever. Those are the people that live in that low vibrational energy. They can't get out of it. But just if we could teach those people, just be grateful, sit down and write for 10 minutes about all the things that you're grateful for and make that a daily practice. You will start to see something miraculous happen in the way those kind of people live their lives. I totally agree. And if you do do it daily, you have to dig because you can't just keep saying the same thing every day. And and that is a great practice. That's the practice. Well, right. That yeah. is the practice, yeah. And, and uh, it, it really forces us to expand that circle of gratitude and understand that, you know, and I think what it also forces us to do is to expand the circle of our experience. And when we have that, Hmm. we move our brains out of this, you know, kind of regimented, what are we going to watch on Netflix tonight approach to life and really understand that experience is the true commodity that binds us all as human beings. The more experience we have, the more we can be grateful for. And it doesn't always have to be good, right? Because I think that you guys have talked about this. I can be grateful for some of the bad times in my life. They help Mm -hmm. me appreciate the good ones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Very, very true. So I want to ask about the uh, being an empath. So, Janet, I think your article, I think you wrote, I don't know when it was, but it was really good about how empaths are struggling right now. And I wanted you to just talk a little bit about that. Um, and how how do you recommend people recharging if this is really hard for them? Right. And, I'm, you know, in the middle of a global pandemic, I mean, if, if you are an empath, you feel, you feel for everyone. You have family, you have friends you have coworkers, you have you know, your neighbors. And at some point or another, you recognize that everyone is struggling through something, especially right now. We are all being affected by it. So it's, it's hard. I mean, the, this, is, this is a challenging time because there's so, much, there's so much feeling and so much emotion going on. And I even know, even just with some of my journaling that I've been doing in the morning, I, I will sometimes I just sit there. I'm like, I'm, I'm getting emotional right now because I, I feel for the, the globe. We're all suffering and there's so much fear and, you know, and how do we, uncertainty, right? Uncertainty. And, and how do we process this? And, you know, a lot of the things that we talk about is really the only way out is through too. So I think it's really important just to find what centers you. And I was going to say this earlier is that, you know, that, that could be different for so many people. For you, it might be solitude outside, just like kind of sitting and being with yourself. For someone else, it might be something completely different. But as far as the recharge aspect, I think it's, it kind of, it kind of does go back to, to the why, or even just something fun that kind of fills your, your passion and kind of, you, it kind of just recharges you maybe energetically as well. But it's so important to make time for those things too, because it's so easy to get sucked into this like downward spiral of like, Oh my gosh, what's happening. There's, I'm feeling overwhelmed, all these things. And it just, it, it honestly, for me kind of highlights the importance of making time for things that, that do recharge you. And that's unique for each individual. I remember that scene from Bruce almighty where, you know, he's given the powers of God and like the first morning he wakes up after having them. And then he starts to hear all of the prayers of the world. And it sounds oh, like just yeah. the ultimate cacophony. Hmm. Um, my mom is very empathic. And she says like, even going to the grocery store feels like that, where there's just this, there's this amount of energy and it's not necessarily positive. That's just tuned up to the maximum level. 
And, and so, you know, for someone like her, and I think for some of the other empathic people, including Jana, it's like, it's get out in nature, get away from people, find a way to distance yourself from the noise. And, and really, it's going to be a challenge for people who are hyper empathic right now. There's not a lot of positivity to, to latch on to. And so that is just physically and energetically draining. And, and, you know, I know you have a, Jana's got a friend, it's like, you know, she's very empathic and she sleeps half the day. Yeah, because it's so just draining and overwhelming. But you know, it, it is it is these kind of you know lower vibrational states where it is it is kind of draining, and that's where I think it's so important to find that power and to find that strength through that, and find something that does get you know bring you back to like kind of a a, a more like higher vibrational state, which we love talking about. Get around water. Water is the ultimate. Yeah. You know, the negative ions of water are so powerful for empathic people. So, you know, if it's go walk <laughs> by a lake, get in a pool. If, you, if you're into the Wim Hof method, like we are, get into a cold pool, <laughs> a, uh, really cold. a really cold <laughs> pool. And, and uh, you know, you'll forget a lot about your problems when you're sitting in 40 degrees of, of water, you know, trying to figure out how to breathe your way through it. 40 <laughs> degrees? <laughs> yeah, I don't think we ever did that cold. No. <laughs> Um, I think that's why we ha- we live on top of a mountain and we have a little, we, I mean, we live in a state park basically, but we have trails all around us and there's a trail that, especially when it rains and there's creeks that fill up and I, like, well, I'll even say like, I need to go out there today. Like we'll hike out there, but it is, it's that water, the sound and the, uh, I did not know that about the, the negative ions. Like maybe there's something interesting. Yes, you Look at data of life expectancy of people who are a hundred miles away from water versus those that are closest to it. And and it's yeah. it's very interesting data, but the negative ions of water, whether that's a river, an ocean, a lake, have a significant impact on our physiology. And mm-hmm. it's it wasn't until the industrial revolution where we moved inland and we started agricultural farming and and, and all that. But life expectancy in those areas is a lot less. Now, some could argue that it's a harder lifestyle. There's more industrial accidents. But I think what you find is, is that there's a lot more disease in those areas versus people who are actually around water. Right. Yeah. Actually, wow. uh, a year ago, Evan and I went to Peru where we back we backpacked around. It was one of the most amazing trips. We were there for like over a week. And I remember during that trip, as we're walking through like these incredible mountains, just looking at looking at everything, just being, being one with nature. I remember having this, this moment where I was like, Oh my gosh, this is what people need to be doing all the time. It is, you know, and I get it, you know, we, we all have jobs and careers and goals and stuff. And so a lot of that, a lot of that, you know, it, it, it's important for us to be inside and, you know, working at a computer and I get that, but you know, just having opportunities and being in situations where you are outside and you are able to just kind of really reconnect to what's true, I think is, is profoundly amazing. And that was kind of one of the, one of the, the, the thing that the realizations that I had during that trip was, Oh my gosh, we, people need to do this all the time. And we need to like not trade in those moments for junk moments, which is what most of us end up doing. We, the convenient, the easy, the autopilot and the things that ultimately are not good for us. So, so we can carve out this stuff, this really life affirming, uh, practices in our lives, but most of us just don't choose to do that. This is yeah. the this is the moment in our civilization where we have the opportunity to allow technology to play the force of good that it can be. Most companies are looking at these kind of extended, uh, you know, virtual offices for people. You know, it, it's this is an opportunity, right? Like if, if you're no longer going into an office, what does that do? Your commute time is gone. You can be more productive at home. Um, you have opportunities now. So how do you take advantage of that extra opportunity? Get outside, work outside, set up shop on your back patio, you know, take, take these long walks in the middle of the day. It's like life is presenting us with an opportunity. And if we take advantage of that versus pining for the days of old, while we were all just rapidly inching towards premature death, this could be the moment. This really could be our opportunity to, to, to turn the tide. 
Preach. Yeah, I am That'll getting preach. more and more inspired as this I podcast goes on. Um, yeah, this I'm excited. Uh, but speaking of the inner work leading to outer impact, one of your um, your missions right now, you recently published a, a children's book, and the proceeds go to fighting human trafficking. That is very noble because of what an evil thing that is to be fighting. Uh, could you could you tell us about the the book, the inspiration, and and where people can go to support the cause. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm a single father. And, and when my daughter was four years old, a monster decided to move into her closet. And any parent who's gone through this knows that logic alone just can't solve that problem, right? You come back in the room, you turn on the light, you open the closet, and all you see are toys and clothes. But the second you close the door, the monster comes back. Yeah, so, I hate when that happens. I hate when that happens, right? You know, and it's like, as a single parent, I'm like, I'm trying to get work done. You're supposed to be sleeping. I've got emails to get to. Um, so I, I creatively decided that we were going to try to tackle this in a different way. And so, you know, I got her out of bed. We went downstairs and I took some excipients, some food coloring, some lavender oil, and I put those in a bottle. And then I cut off a little strand of her hair and I put it in this bottle. We shook it up and I told her it was her very own go away monster spray. And so we took that up and told her a story about how, you know, when she, when she sprayed this around her room, that it was the ultimate monster repellent and that monster could never hurt her. Now, luckily it was lavender oil. So there was a calming effect of that as well, but it worked. <laughs> and so I, I originally wrote this book as just kind of the chronicle of that cute little story of, of how we were able to solve a problem together as, as daddy and daughter. Uh, about a year ago, I decided uh, that I was going to try to run a hundred miles. Um, and this might've been the, the most moronic decision of my life. <laughs> it, an attempt to raise awareness for an organization called Operation Underground Railroad, who was started by Tim Ballard, an ex-Department of Homeland Security officer, who was tasked with breaking up sex trafficking rings predominantly in the United States. Okay. One of the things that he found was all of his intelligence was leading to a lot of these kids being taken to non-extradition countries or countries where he didn't have any authority. And so he left uh, Department of Homeland Security, started Operation Underground Railroad, and recruited ex-Special Forces, CIA, um, you know, basically some pretty bad people or some some pretty awesome people to go into some of these areas, physically remove these kids from sex trafficking rings, and then work with local law enforcement to persecute these people to make sure that this didn't happen again. Um, as a father, I, I I think as as a human being, I, I I'm very very scope locked on this situation as a father. I feel that all of the work we do on Complete Human is for naught if we can't solve this one thing. You know, if we can't solve the fundamental problem of sex trafficking of minors, I, I don't even know if we deserve to inherit this planet. And so I didn't get to run the 100 miles because of COVID and a training injury. And, and to be quite candid, I, I thought it was a little it fell short of what I really wanted. And so I, I wrote this book with the goal of, of helping raise $2 million for this charity. And that that's really the focus, right, is is uh, the book is available on Amazon. It's called Mia in the Go Away Monster Spray. You can purchase it. It's $19.99. All of the proceeds go to Operation Underground Railroad. And our goal is to permanently eradicate sex trafficking as a problem on this planet. Wow. Well, we yeah, are, we're so fans. Good. That's so good. I'm going to buy it right now. We're going to put that in the show notes uh, as well. Uh, let's. We've kind of touched on you know the practices and routines that you guys do, and I think that probably there, you know you couldn't even explain it as well as you already did on your own podcast. I think the one up close and personal, a morning with Jana and Evan. We suggest people go to completehuman.com and check out that episode to get inspired by. Um, wow. I mean, it's quite a routine. I, I mean, it's, is it sustainable? Do you do two hours a day every single day? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we wake up early, but we make it happen. Okay, man. Yeah, it, I am, I am it, it, inspired. Um, it's fantastic stuff. How can they, how can uh, people get in touch guys? Um, I guess it's go to completehuman.com and, um, what else, what else can we do to, um, share the love for you? Uh, sure. So, I mean, completehuman.com, that has all of our, our articles and our podcasts and videos and just kind of informative stuff. We're both on social as well. So um, you guys can find all that information on completehuman.com. And and that will also link you to the store. And I, I know we didn't get a lot of a big chance to talk about this, but, you know, we're very proud right. of, the, of the product line that we just launched. Um, Tell one us of about the, one that of the, real quick. 
Yeah. So one of the things that I've been fortunate enough to do in my career is develop many of the dietary supplements that you're going to see on, on almost any shelf, uh, digital or physical, if, if those vitamin shops or vitamin worlds of the place still, you know, of the world still exist. Um, yeah. And in owning the manufacturing division, what I recognize is that there's a real opportunity for us to shore up the value chain problems that exist in dietary supplements while also introducing new and compelling ingredients that are based off of our platform of diagnostic testing. So we started Complete Human Dietary Supplements as kind of the launch vehicle, but that opened up the door for us to really take our message of social responsibility to the next level. So this month, or actually January, we're excited to launch uh, or announce the launch of our Cafe Caramia line, which is a partnership with a global organization called called Cafe Feminino, which is women-owned and operated coffee co-ops around the world. And, and so what we're doing is empowering women within their, uh, you know, in their communities to really take advantage of the business opportunities that have presented to help nurture, you know, these coffee growers, to help support agricultural initiatives that keep, um, you know, environmental disaster at bay when it comes to a, a delicate crop like coffee. So we need our coffee. We need our coffee. And all, so all of the money goes back to Cafe Feminino and, and helping these women. We've got uh, a line of cleaning products that are coming out that are really designed to be beneficial for the planet, completely organic, plant-based, you know, things that you could drink, although I don't think the flavor profiles are that good. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, it's, it's really how do, we, how do we bridge the gap between us talking to people about what they can do to make an impact in their communities in the world and then giving them the resources to do that. And we wanted to do that in a way kind of like a Newman zone where we could, we could give people products at a cheaper price and then utilize the, you know, the proceeds of those to really help continue to make an impact in the world. That's an amazing mission. I love that. It's not just, it's always triple bottom line, right? It's always, how do we make money? Yes, but also make an, an impact on in the best way that we can, uh, the way that we're called to do it. So I love that y'all are doing that. I did find Mia and the Go Away Monster Spray. It is in my cart right now, but I also have a lot of Christmas gifts. <laughs> I need to figure out what <laughs> that is. That cart is looking scary there, honey. Yeah. That's a <laughs> long cart. I am getting this book and I hope everybody gets it and can, can support uh, this great mission that you all to eradicate human trafficking. I think that's amazing. Yeah, it's actually, it's a really impressive product line, I have to say. Um, but yeah, it's more than more than just even supplements. You guys are doing a lot of good throughout the world and in a lot of creative, uh, inspiring ways. So it's really, really great to have you on the show. Thanks for reaching out. Um, and, you know, bring on 2021. Exactly. Let's, Here we go. let's go make a dent in the world in a good way. Let's go make a dent. That's right. That's right. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you, guys. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to the Big Self Podcast. This episode was brought to you ad-free by Big Self School. Right now, we are offering our best-selling book, Who Do You Think You Are? It's in a gorgeous, accessible, softcover format. It took a long time to put this together. If you love books, if you love being inspired, if you love just trying to make yourself change a little bit each and every day, trying to be your best, biggest self, this book is for you. Check it out at bigselfschool.com backslash 365 to learn more about it and check it out. We'd love to share the love with you in that way. Next week, our guest bringing in the new year is Michael Thompson and overcoming obstacles that keep you stuck and turning them into unexpected sources of strength. He is a coach. He is a mentor to many. He is a top writer at Business Insider and many other places. He's got an amazing story and we can't wait to share this one with you. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next week.